Today's program is entitled Who's in Your Boat? Hello, my radio friends. I'm delighted to be with you today. And I'm so glad you have tuned in. Probably some of you regard these Give Me the Bible programs as a substitute for church attendance, especially if you don't find it easy to get out and about. I certainly hope that you've been enjoying the programs and that they are leading you to a better understanding of the Bible and are bringing you closer to God. And I hope that you understand that God loves you. Today's program, as I mentioned before, is called Who is in Your Boat? You'll understand the title as we go on. There are some people, such as atheists and agnostics, who throw criticism at Christians. They say that Christians need a crutch in their lives. They say that Christians can't manage life on their own and need outside help. The criticism, when boiled down, is that Christians are weak and cannot manage to stand on their own two feet. That reminds me of the film Crocodile Dundee 1. Mick Dundee is in New York. The high-flying executive has just come back from visiting the psychiatrist and Mick is puzzled. He asks, Why would he need a psychiatrist? Hasn't he got any mates? This may have been a comedy film, but there are some very deep issues uncovered in the film and this is one of them. Did you know that people generally live longer when they have others to whom they can relate. People with whom they share their troubles, their joys and their disappointments and experiences. It probably has a lot to do with the psychological makeup of human beings in that people need people, as the song says. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18 is a very profound statement made by none other than the Creator. He says, It is not good for man to live alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. You've probably noticed that people who live alone often become withdrawn from the rest of society and are often consumed with their own selves. Many of them develop various real or imagined sicknesses. This bears out that people need people, and that within the psychological makeup of human beings is a very real need for support and interaction. I think the agnostics and the atheists have overlooked this point. It is a rare person 
who does not need anyone to lean on, so to speak. And as far as that is concerned, the atheists and agnostics usually also have others who support them. The very thing they criticise Christians about. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 18 and verse 22, is this statement. It says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Who might this very good friend be? The Apostle Peter answers the question in 1 Peter 5, 7. In the previous verses leading up to verse 7, the Apostle is talking about Christian responsibilities and the relationship people have with God. And then he says, Cast all your cares or anxieties upon him, that's God, because he cares for you. Yes, God is your friend. He is the one who cares for you. There used to be a hymn sung in many churches and which has an often repeated line. It says, The best friend to have is Jesus. The best friend to have is Jesus. People may let you down and disappoint you, but Jesus is constant. He doesn't have moods where one day he likes you and the next day hates you. No, he's always there and he always cares. There is no black mark for requesting help from any friend because a friend in need is a friend indeed. And the friend who's able to do more than any other friend is Jesus. He has the interest in you and he has the power to do what is needed. The problem is that most people treat God like a lawyer. They only go to him when they're in trouble. The criticism thrown at Christians by atheists and the agnostics is probably valid to a certain degree. But the atheists have no hope for a future because they reject God. And I personally am happy to receive their criticism as I do not regard help as a sign of weakness. All of us face challenges in our lives. The challenges may be financial, relational, emotional, and or a host of other things. It's nice to get some help when you're in need. So what has all this got to do with a boat, you may be thinking? There's a short story in the Bible recorded in three of the four Gospels. We will take the story from the book of Mark, chapter 4, and from verses 35 to 41. It says this, That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in a boat. 
There were other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Many of the disciples were fishermen and were used to storms, but this storm absolutely terrified them. They were scared they would die, and all the while when the boat was crazily dancing on the water, while the wind was howling and the waves came crashing over the sides of the boat, Jesus, obviously tired from teaching the people all day long, lay peacefully sleeping. Frantically the disciples woke Jesus up. Jesus stood up and spoke to the wind and the waves, which then subsided immediately. The disciples were overawed and asked each other who Jesus really was. This same Jesus who was in the boat with them. This Jesus who, by simply speaking, calmed the storm. There are a number of interesting things we can find in this story, but I want to concentrate on only two of them. Firstly, Jesus was in the boat with them. The disciples had seen many of the miracles Jesus had done earlier. They had seen him heal the sick, cast out demons and turn water into wine. But none of those miracles had been on such a scale as this. None of the previous miracles involved them directly. But here they were in danger of losing their lives. The calming of the wind and the waves had a huge impact on them. The real point of this is that Jesus was there with them. You, dear listener, need Jesus in your life. We all have troubles. And sometimes we try to deal with those troubles on our own, and that usually is a hard battle. But when Jesus is in your life, you can turn to him and ask for help. Straight away, that seems to make the troubles ease, simply by sharing. I'm aware of people who've tried their level best to solve problems they were experiencing, and reached the end of their resources. In desperation they prayed to God and said, Lord, I've done all I can, and now I'm turning this issue over to you. I can't solve the problem, but I know you can. It was just like a burden had been lifted from their shoulders, and they felt much happier straight away. 
But if you don't have God in your life, well, you have to burn. Uh, you have to bear the burden yourself. It's good to have Jesus in your boat, so to speak. The second thing I'd like you to consider is the question the disciples asked each other. The question was, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? My dad had an intense dislike for wind. I've heard my dad apply some not very flattering adjectives to the wind and call it some names to make a truck driver blush. But never once did it do any good. The wind kept up until it had run out of puff. But Jesus stood up and with his voice commanded the wind and the waves to be still. Who could do such a thing? Certainly not my dad, and not me either. We'll have a little break and then we'll go on afterwards. Keeping the night watch for you and for me. Bright stars are watching the world as it sleeps. Shepherds watch over the little white sheep. The lighthouse is shining for ships far at sea As God keeps the night watch for you and for me So sleep, sleep in peace and rest Don't be afraid of the dark For the break, we were beginning to look at the answer to the question the disciples were asking, who is this? Referring, of course, to Jesus, who calmed the storm. You see, 
the disciples failed to recognize who they had in the boat with them. You see, Jesus was the one who created the earth. In the Gospel of John, in the first three verses, the Bible tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And the word, if you haven't realized it already, is Jesus. The same sort of thing is repeated in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1 and verse 2, where it says, But in these last days God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed as heir of all things, and through who he made the universe. And then in the book of Colossians, in chapter 1 and verse 16, it says, speaking about Jesus, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. So who was this Jesus, the one in the boat with the disciples? He was none other than God, God the Creator, the one who spoke these things into existence in the first place. It was he who made water, earth, wind and life, and it was no big deal for him to calm the storm. You may be pretty sure that the disciples were very glad they had Jesus in the boat with them. And, dear listeners, you will be glad when Jesus is in your boat with you. What we humans may find impossible is not a problem to God. With him all things are possible. It is thrilling to read stories and hear stories where God has done some fantastic things to help people who have been in trouble. People who have turned to God in their times of desperation. Just read such stories say, like about George Muller, who set up a home for orphan and needy children in England in the 1800s and depended on God so many times to supply food for the children when there was no food and no money to buy food. God was in George Muller's boat, and he did not disappoint. I too have had a dramatic intervention by God when I was feeling desperate. I boldly asked God to give me an indication of the solution to my problem within a week. Two days later, God answered my prayer in a most remarkable way. It is something which has had a profound influence on my life ever since. And there are many, many, many other such stories of how God has done something remarkable for people who pleaded for his help. Why am I sharing 
this with you today. It's because I want to encourage you to let Jesus into your life. He will not only help you, but you will have peace as you hand over to him the things you're unable to deal with. But I want to share two Old Testament Bible stories with you. The first is found in the book of Judges, chapters 6 and 7. You see, at the time the land of Israel was being constantly attacked by powerful hordes from the neighbouring country of Midian. Thousands of these Midianites would sweep into Israel, steal the livestock and destroy the crops. The Israelites were subjugated and afraid. Many of them lived in caves and were starving to death. Then the Lord called Gideon because he intended to use him to free the land of the marauding Midianites. But Gideon was no warrior. He was an unimportant person from an unimportant family, and he made this known to God. But the Lord had big plans for young Gideon. In Judges 6 and verses 14 to 16 we read, The Lord turned to Gideon and said, Go in the strength you have, and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But but Lord Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. And then, <laughs> and you should read the story for yourself in Judges 6 and 7, Gideon, with the assistance of 300 men, and with God, multiple tens of thousands of Midianites were slaughtered, and Israel was free from the Midianite raids afterward. The land went back to peace, and the people were happy again. God was there in Gideon's boat. As a little boy, I read and heard this story many times, and I was thrilled by it. The odds of success appeared impossible, yet overwhelming victory was achieved. But how could a mere 300 men have such a significant overwhelming victory? It is because God was in Gideon's boat and that made all the difference. The second story is the story of David and Goliath. The phrase David and Goliath is a normal expression in today's everyday English and it comes from the Bible. The story is found in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17. This time... There was a war between the Israelites and the Philistines, but there'd been no fighting. The Philistines were camped on the hillsides near a small creek and the Israelites on the other side. Back in those times, the opposing armies had a strange tradition leading up to the actual battle. Today we would call it 
posturing. Each day a champion from each army would come forward and shout insults and taunts to the champion of the opposing army. The Philistines had a mighty warrior who was their champion. He was a giant of a man named Goliath. If a suitable challenger came out from the opposing army, the two combatants would fight. Whoever won decided the outcome of the war. It was probably a pretty cool idea and saved a lot of bloodshed. We read Goliath's description in 1 Samuel 17 verses 4 to 7. The Bible says, Goliath was over nine feet tall. That's about 2.7 metres. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armour of bronze weighing about 57 kilograms. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed seven kilograms. He also carried a huge sword. No one from the Israelite army was willing to challenge this huge man. So they sat and waited day after day after day. Then David showed up. He was the youngest son, probably a teenager at the time, and he was sent by his father Jesse to take some home food to his brothers who were part of the Israelite army. When David was there, he heard insults and taunts from Goliath. David wondered why nobody had gone out to challenge him. The truth is, they were all afraid. To everyone's surprise, young David volunteered to go fight this mountain of a man, Goliath. Goliath was in armour and had a shield, javelin, spear and sword as his weapons. All David had was a sling. But God was in David's boat. David walked down to the creek and picked up five smooth stones, then proceeded towards the enraged giant who was full of insults and curses. But David shouted, You have come to me with, with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. It is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. With that, Goliath, enraged, charged forward and pushed his helmet up, exposing his forehead. David put one of those smooth stones into his sling and slung the stone with all the force he had. The stone hit Goliath in the forehead.
and broke through his skull. Goliath collapsed, and David rushed up, pulled Goliath's huge sword from its scabbard, and cut off the giant's head. With that, the Israelite army rushed forward and attacked the fleeing Philistines, most of whom were killed. How come that a mere youth, not a soldier, young David was able to accomplish such a victory against all normal odds? It was because God was in his boat. Now, dear listeners, what about you? Do you have Jesus in your boat? Do you have him in your life? He is willing to join you. Jesus says to us in Revelation 3.20, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. This is not a dinner invitation. Jesus is saying that he is willing to be part of your life if you are willing to let him in. He'll not push his way in. You must let him in. I'm so glad, so very, very glad I chose many years ago to let Jesus into my life. But what about you? Are you willing or are you scared there could be some changes? Dear listener, let Jesus into your life. You will never regret it. That's it for today. But I hope you'll join me again next time for another in the Give Me the Bible series. Until then, I wish you joy and peace and above all, that Jesus is in your boat.